Oh my gosh, Seth, I am so excited about this episode. Um, not only is the um, subject matter that we're talking about in my backyard, but we are also doing our first video portion of our podcast. So if you go to our website, which is ecrimebytes.com, uh, bytes spelled with a Y as in yellow, you can see a YouTube link up at the top. And if you want to watch this visually, so you can see our slides and Seth and I waving our hands and so forth, uh, feel Just free hands. to do that. <laughs> yeah. So feel free to do that. It's uh, just that YouTube link up at the top of our website. We hope to see you there. So our episode here is episode seven, and I call it Swatting Payback in Maryland. And when I was looking and thinking about this episode, I thought, see, I live in Maryland. So I started thinking, what do people think about Maryland that don't live in Maryland? So I really quickly just did a Google and I search just the phrase Maryland clothing and I I invite you to do this as well as some of the craziest clothing came up from from Maryland and I did searches Seth I did New York for you and you know there was like Fifth Avenue type of clothes I did Michigan and that was like U of M clothes but for some reason because Marylanders like to wear a flag pretty much in everything it, there's like bodysuits here from head to toe of the Maryland flag. I don't know why this comes up for Maryland clothing. So this is now what my impression is of what people outside Maryland must think of people that live in Maryland. See, I always thought it was us wearing our, our flag on our clothes and blue crabs, which is, if you're watching the um, YouTube video of this, it's uh, on the right hand side there where I took a, showed you a crab dressed up in the Maryland flag, but uh, so, no, no. Google apparently took it one step further and I mean, there's not even a face cut out for the person on the left there, Seth. So to be fair, I have two points here. One, I'm shockingly disappointed that you're not in that Maryland flag bodysuit for $63. You totally should have worn that. That's a whiff. Uh, and second, <laughs> I don't really think about, you know, Maryland or frankly, any other state, uh, you know, in terms of, I don't spend a lot of time thinking like the visualization of a state. For Maryland, it's either, you know, rich yachts in Annapolis or... The Wire in Baltimore. That's really it. That's my extent, uh, extent of understanding, um, you know, visually how someone would represent Maryland. But what do I know? Yeah, if you haven't seen The Wire, awesome, awesome series. I highly recommend it. And if you're listening to this, I hope you haven't thought that we're going to ditch you and just do visual and you won't understand. As you can see, we're still trying to explain the things that we're showing visually. So if you prefer to just listen to the audio, we're going to continue to explain just like we have previously so our next slide here Seth I was really proud because usually what I do is I try to well lately I've been trying to get mug shots of the people that we've uh, been talking about and I couldn't find them I searched everywhere um, for these two individuals and I couldn't find them so I was like all right I'm not going to go pay for a royalty image out there I'm going to find something useful for this podcast and I said oh I got I got a sim card laying around so I put it on the tip of my finger, took the picture, put a nice, you know, put a nice little edit on it. And then sent it to Seth. I'm like, hey, check this out. What do you think about this? This for this episode. Seth sends back and he goes, it's great, except for your crusty finger. <laughs> so just to annoy Seth, I'm going to put this picture everywhere we talk about sim swapping from now on. Just to annoy Seth. Uh, if you're curious, it's all over. Picture, it's all over the deck we have here. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, if you're curious what the picture is, um, it's in the uh, description if you're on the audio version. And um, if you click through, um, well, actually, that's, uh, 
there'll be a link at the bottom to click through to the pictures if you can't see it on your phone is what I'm trying to say. So with that, let's go ahead and get into our case. So we have our usual bullets, but I did switch the last bullet. Instead of calling it the clincher, because it seemed like it was always the same, I switched the bullet to why this case. Why did, out of literally hundreds and thousands of cases out there, why did we choose this case? And we'll try to answer that going forward because um, sometimes it's, you know, like last case, we picked it because it was rare to see a group of ladies um, in a criminal enterprise. And in this case, you'll see where it's <laughs> bad guys against bad guys, which is kind of humorous. So let me start out and say the technology is, um, we're gonna talk about fishing and vishing. Don't worry about what those are. That's gonna be the first two topics on our slide once we get started in our podcast, because you need to understand what those are for us to tell you what they did. And then we're gonna get right back to sim swapping. So you're gonna see a bunch of pictures of my crusty finger for Seth on here. The crime, Seth? Uh, the crime here uh, definitely involved SIM swapping, which is something we've seen consistently, uh, theft of cryptocurrency, and then unauthorized access to and subsequent theft of online accounts. And one thing I did want to bring up is, uh, you know, one of the consistent approaches to being able to uh, fulfill the crime across most of our podcasts here has been, uh, I guess, pushing that vulnerable weak link, which is the mobile device or the mobile carrier rather. And here that'll play a big role. So, um, you know, one of the things we always ask is people in addition to why this case is, could this happen to you? And, you know, we're not trying to be cynical here, but there's very little you can, can do really, you can control rather uh, in terms of enforcing the security amongst uh, the employees of your local mobile, you know, carrier store, right? When you go get your, you know, new phone set up, if it's a personal phone, and you go to your whatever carrier down the street or in the mall, you know, the people who work there are probably not security experts. And the standard protocols they have to access your account, you know, in their system uh, are, are not foolproof. And they are certainly not immune from being um, vished or fished, which we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah, and quite simply for this case, the criminals that we know about are two young men. And you'll hear us say words like co-conspirators and that's the way it is in the court documents. And it makes us believe that there's probably more individuals that were involved that haven't been charged or maybe have been charged separately and we just don't know. Yeah, and then the victims here were various social media personalities, which we'll get into it a little bit. Uh, some cryptocurrency holders. And as we mentioned, uh, we're calling it phone companies. So I'm calling it really more your mobile device carriers. Yeah, why Why this case? I thought this case was interesting because there is no honor amongst these. You're gonna see that everything was supposedly going well for this group until things went sideways internally in the group and then that's how law enforcement got involved and then everybody got busted. So uh, it's a pretty interesting case. So please sit back and enjoy episode seven of E-Crime Bites. Lady, lady, lady. 
You can light it, light it, fucking light it. Hey, so we have some updates and um, it's quite a few updates. I'll try to go through them as quickly as possible and we'll jump right to uh, the content after. So first, if you're just listening to this by episode by episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Second, our website, eCrimeBytes, just E-C-R-I-M-E-B-Y is in yellow, T-E-S dot com. If you go there, there's a link across the top and the word glossary is there now. This is new. If you click on it, it will go to a glossary that we have created of all these terms we've been talking about. Sometimes it's hard for us to define things on the fly while we're doing a podcast, even with slides. And um, I can put more lengthy descriptions there and I can also put references to other sites. So if you go there, you'll see, you know, I'll give you my description on some of these things like swatting and so forth. But I also give you links to things like Wikipedia so you can look at what other people say about it as well. Another thing, if you prefer email reminders and updates to our episodes, I started a newsletter, an email newsletter. Um, you can also get to that at the top of our website. If you sign up there, I'll, um, once I get a critical mass, I'll start sending out updates on episodes and so forth. Now, uh, I said this earlier, but some of these pictures that we put in our descriptions don't show up on the phone apps. So if, if I use Spotify sometimes, and I didn't see the pictures in there. So what I'm going to start doing is putting links to where you can go on the web to see these pictures of the mug shots and so forth that Seth and I crack jokes about. Um, you know, I try to pull lately. I've been trying to pull the mug shots and some of them have been pretty comical and going forth. Going forward, we'll try to pull as many pictures related to the case if it's publicly available. Uh, another bullet is that we are adding video and pictures and slides, or we're testing it uh, with this episode and maybe an episode or two going forward to see how well it works on places like YouTube uh, because it might be more interesting for people there. Um, we have some listeners there, and it might be more interesting for them to watch us and see the slides, or it might be interesting for some of you audio people when you say, ah, I really want to see that picture. Well, now you have a place that you can go see those pictures that we're talking about. We're still going to assume that most, if not all our listeners are audio. So don't worry. We're still going to explain things um, just like assuming you can't see it. And also we're a word of mouth podcast We're this is a hobby. We don't, you know, this is not our job. Um, we don't have any ads or anything yet. So, um, if you like us, please, please just leave a you know thumbs up or a star review, whatever it is on your favorite podcasting app. If you do leave something humorous on Apple Podcasts, we will uh, read it. So we did have one. So it's from Tall Flamingo. If you miss Tall Flamingo, she's my sister-in-law, and we introduced her in episode five, which was Plug Walk Joe. Well, anyways, I have, an, I have a quick update and proof of life for Tall Flamingo. Um, in her podcast update, I asked her, I said, hey, why does it say Obamacare stinks? And she just went, Ugh. And I was like, what? She goes, well, like Tall Flamingo, I used an account that someone else set up for me, and apparently they put Obamacare stinks as my first name and last name, and I didn't, and I didn't know it until I went and checked my public uh, positive review of you guys. And there it is. Obamacare stinks. So I thought it was kind of humorous that, um, 
Tall Flamingo was suckered not once but twice by people in her family. And I know that's her username because actually if you see the um, review that I made of us, that's Keith J. Jones there. That's my name. So it plugs a username where Obamacare stinks in there. So she got twice, Tall Flamingo and Obamacare stinks, which I thought was pretty hilarious. And I thought that, you know, people are probably thinking I'm making up this whole Tall Flamingo thing. And I said, um, I said, hey, Tall Flamingo, how can I prove that you are real? And she says, well, I have video of me going through a McDonald's drive-thru that I can send you. And I said, that is pretty sweet. So what I'm going to do now is show you the video that Tall Flamingo sent us. And it's pretty funny. Um, as I share out my screen here, we have, where to go, where to go? Tallflamingo.mp4, share. All right, here we go. And basically, so I can set up the scene for you. She's going through McDonald's drive-thru. Her app is set to first name Tall, last name Flamingo. And she just pretends when people calls her, calls her this, that that's her name because she can't figure out how to change it to her real name. So this is the video she sent us. Nope, nope, the mobile app order. Flamingo? Yep. You're off there. Thank you. Oh, do I get a receipt here or up there? Cool. Thank you. Oh, God. I love the fact that she just pretend. Yep, yep. That's me. Yep, yep. Yeah, I like that she totally went with, yep, Paul Flamingo. That's who I am. That's, uh, that's pretty great. It's funny because when she tells me about it, she said, um, when, when, you know, when people look at her funny, all she thinks is, come on, I don't have time. It was my kids. <laughs> it could be uh, worse. It could have been something way dirtier or, uh, or nastier. So if you have to have a silly nickname, that's not so bad. Yeah, exactly. So let's start switching gears. Let's start getting into our case. And I know this is still a personal story, but this, believe me, this has something to do with our case. If you listen all the way till the end. So I, Let's hear from Andrea to warm us up from our case. If you don't know who Andrea is, it's my wife. And uh, the other day, she came up to me and said, if you, if you had 30 minutes to hide a USB drive in your house, where would you hide it? And I swear to God, Seth, it didn't even take me a whole second. And I went, my butt. And she looked at me with just the most disappointed, horrified look. And so, of course, you know, I'm thinking she must be asking this for like a reason or something. So I'm like, hey, listen, go ask my brother, see what he says. And so she went off and texted him. She came back. He gave her the exact same, <laughs> the exact same answer, answer, Seth. And I just want to say, do not feel bad for this woman because she chose to marry into this. Now she knew what she was getting into. I agree. But again, it's interesting how this strangely relates to our case so uh we'll, we'll get we'll come back to this issue yeah so remember this later on because we're going to refer to it again now on to our case um seth do you want to take us through uh fishing and fishing let's do it so fishing is you know i guess at this point now one of the more antiquated uh forms of uh you know i guess attempting to commit cybercrime, uh, identity theft, you know, what have you. So what is it? So this is where an attacker will craft some form of a convincing email uh, that appears to come from a legitimate person or company. Now, I want to make it clear, these have gotten significantly more 
sophisticated. 10, 20 years ago, you'd see all kinds of different fonts and misspelling. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, text would be grainy. It was clear that this is kind of a, uh, a illegitimate or what I would call bullshit uh, attempt. And it's definitely gotten significantly more sophisticated. And usually uh, the email uh, is urging the recipient to log into a specifically or specially crafted website that looks like the legitimate company. But two key caveats here, right? One, the website is clearly controlled by the attacker. Uh, and two, there are domains like Microsoft, where the O in soft is actually a zero, or TwitterUserSupport.com are used. And it might be unclear, especially on like the Twitter user, where that might be totally legit. What do I know? I don't know what Twitter's user support email looks like. Um, so we're also going to find out later in this case that there are clearly cottage industries that exist on the regular web, let alone on the dark web, for people who are invited to go and create these sites, probably for not a lot of money. Um, so there's definitely, you know, uh, a large risk here of being fished. And that was definitely prevalent in this case. So here, um, it was a simple method for the attackers to gain access to username and passwords or other kinds of PII. For those of you who are not in the know, PII is an acronym for uh, personally identifiable information. So fairly broad. It could be credit card information. It could be your home address. It could be your social security number. I mentioned on a prior podcast that individually a single bit of PII is not necessarily likely to be a big problem for the person who uh, is associated with it, but multiple pieces or PII in association with other you know, uh, corresponding information can be extremely telling and thus dangerous. And then last, um, when phishing doesn't work, attackers will use phishing. And I'll let Keith explain what that is. Yeah, so phishing is email-based, typically. Um, you know, sometimes people say phishing for text messages, but typically it's over emails. Um, so phishing is just the voice counterpart of it. So instead of sending over email, they sort of do the same thing except it's a phone call. And with a lot of services out there on the internet now, you can make your phone number come from an area code close to your victim, or maybe um, in an area code that would be synonymous with your um, pretend company. You know, if you're, for instance, if it's uh, um, Amazon, it would be, um, you know, an out west area code, for instance, if you're pretending to be Amazon. Um, so there's a lot of, we talked about this in a prior episode where you can get these um, kind of virtual phone numbers on the internet and you can make text messages and phone calls and look like you're legitimate. You know, it's like a legitimate on the wall phone that you're using. Uh, and what they usually do is they will call you and they'll typically rush you, make you feel rushed. So you feel like you need to get, you know, information, you know, to fix something or, um, and then, you know, there's, they try to make it feel like there's a big plus in it for you. So they try to rush you and make it feel like if you give the information over, um, you're going to get, uh, some benefit out of it very quickly. Okay. So now that we know vishing, fishing and vishing. Let's talk about the case and it's going to start, um, I'll start, I'll take the first, uh, slide Seth and it's going to start with, um, victim six and I'm sorry, no victim one. I was looking at the slide ahead. Victim one was sent a phishing email 
And so they get this email and it looks fake and it's from um, a, so it looks like a social media platform email. And um, in this case, it looked like it came from Instagram. And when the victim got it, they provided their username and password to the site, but the site wasn't actually owned by Instagram. It was owned by the attackers. So the attackers got the username and password. So what did the attackers do? They used the same username and password over at Snapchat to see if it worked. And it did. So victim one had hundreds of thousands of followers and victim one also monetized these accounts through sponsored links, product placements and product reviews. And if you're not, if you don't spend a lot of time on social media, this is for influencers and so forth. This is their job. So, you know, while you might think, ah, they just lost their social media account. Think about it, you know, if you worked on the factory line and somebody took away your factory line that day and you couldn't work, that's what's going on here in a digital sense. Yeah, and it gets to, I think, you know, again, I mentioned this on a prior podcast, just clearly a bit of a, a gap between, you know, what the laws on the books are for these and the actual impact that these crimes have on people. Right. So much, you know, however cynical you may want to be about, you know, somebody making a living as a social media influencer, it is a real job. I know people who do it and to have their identity hacked is especially bad for them. So I, I want to make sure we're not deminimizing that a word minimizing um, uh, the impact of this specific uh, successful phishing email attack. Yeah. And we, we try to poke fun at situations and stuff but we try to also not poke fun at victims we we try to take, try to take it seriously because you know even though it sounds like you're like oh why this victim do this you gotta put yourselves in their shoes and a lot of times they don't know they're about to become a victim so the next day here uh 9 24 of 2017 and by the way uh we looked at these criminal court cases and you'll see we jump from victim one to victim six uh, we're doing this more in terms of time rather than in the order of which victims were uh, susceptible here. So keep that in mind. We're not jumping all over the place. We're doing it uh, linearly. So victim six Instagram was compromised by uh, a stolen username and password combo. Was it a swim swap? We don't really know how this was um, how this was uh, effectuated. My my suspicion is it was tied to um, access granted via the uh, mobile device company, which we'll get to later. Anyway, the attacker changed contact email and password so the victim six could not access his or her own account. Thus, victim six was locked out. So victim six here had over 50,000 followers on Instagram, and she had brand deals to monetize social media account. And this was used to pay for things like college tuition and getting around town, transportation or food and groceries. So the, the attacker started losing, excuse me, the attacker started posting material, and because of that, victim six lost all of their followers and brand deals. Again, you know, not to minimize it, that's a pretty big deal. This person's livelihood or a part of their livelihood was literally stolen. Yeah, so now if we fast forward two years, there's a gap in there. We don't know why. Um, we were in 2017 prior when Seth was talking to you. Now we're in 2019, specifically June 14th. Attackers performed a SIM swap against victim five. And again, numbers are out of order because that's, <laughs> that's how the court paperwork was. Um, here's my crusty finger, Seth, showing you the SIM. And I just want to point out that it is very tiny. It's a very tiny chip that you put in your 
phone and um, I don't think we said what sin swapping again is on here, but let me give the quick 10 cent tour. Basically attackers have one of these. They call a mobile phone company and say, I want Keith Jones's phone number, but they don't say that. They just say the, the number. And they say, I want to connect it to this SIM that you see in this picture. And basically then they take that SIM and they plug it into a phone they own. And they usually have to bribe or um, uh, trick a cell phone employee to switch it over for them. So that's what SIM swapping is. That's how you take control of someone else's phone. Um, we have whole episodes dedicated to that. So go ahead and take a listen on our prior episodes. So once they did the SIM swap against victim five, they had access to this person's cryptocurrency wallet. So at this point, they steal $2,000. $2,000 in the scheme of things of their crimes isn't much, but it's a lot to an individual. So somebody lost $2,000 at this point because of the SIM swap and gaining access to the wallets through that SIM swap. So a couple days after this, June 17th of 2019, we know an attacker registered a phishing domain. So what's a phishing domain? That's a domain that looks like wireless provider A's domain. And then they also created a website that looks like wireless provider A's website. And these were designed specifically to steal usernames and passwords of wireless provider A's employees. So again, not their customers, the employees. And that's what I was trying to get to earlier. You know, that's the weak point that you really can't control. And, you know, I have a little bit of sympathy. You know, uh, the kids that work at these mobile devices, and not all kids, the people that work at these mobile device stores are probably not security experts. So wireless provider A would have access to the phone company's resources to assign SIM cards to new phones. So here we learn the attacker's last name, and his name is Millicent. That's M-I-L-L-E-S-O-N. Remember that because there's various uh, permutations to his name, but uh, it's, it's one dude. His name is Millicent, and we'll talk about him more uh, in a bit. Yeah, so that was June 17th, and now we go to June 25th we have wireless provider A was hacked. And how did this happen? So we talked about what phishing is and this attacker created this uh, phishing website, Seth just talked about. So now what they do, what attackers do is they go to a wireless provider and they basically trick the employees to sign into a website that they own, but the employees think they're assigning, they're, they're signing into something at work. So what happened was um, when the um, employee logs in to a website that's phishing, a phishing website, the username and password is now in the hands of the attacker. The attacker can then log in like that wireless provider's employee, the employees, and then do things that the employee can usually do like switch SIM cards and phone numbers and all the administrative type of things you would expect a wireless provider would be able to do to do. So because of that, attackers then could then access these tools inside the wireless provider and execute SIM swapping attacks at, you know, whenever they wanted. So they started um, executing SIM sw swapping attacks against victim three, four, and five at this point. 
So yeah, next day on the 25th of 2019 in June, uh, we learned that victim three's cryptocurrency was stolen. The attackers took control of the victim's crypto account. We'll explain that in a minute. Victim three was an owner of a cryptocurrency investment and social media marketing company. So here approximately, well, let's say almost $17,000 in crypto uh, was stolen from victim three. So quite a bit more than the 2000 we saw uh, with a different victim. Yeah, in the same day, victim four, so remember the three victims were two, I'm sorry, three, four, and five. So victim four, attackers took control of their Instagram account and their Instagram account was two characters. If you go back to one of our prior episodes, we talked about how these are the quote unquote OG accounts because they're so short and um, people want them, you know, like for instance, TN might be Tennessee or MD would be Maryland. Um, MD could also be doctor. So you can see all the different permutations. People would want those really short ones. So um, the Instagram was hacked and um, the attackers now own it at this point. So this is where we get into the no honor amongst thieves here. And, you know, I thought I was pretty familiar with the term uh, to snake somebody, you know, ties to the term, I guess, snake in the grass, biblical references. Um, but here we've learned that one attacker thinks another snaked him. And I guess when you're snake teeth, in order to retaliate, you snake them back. Uh, so within hours of the theft, one conspirator, excuse me, one conspirator thought the attacker who stole the funds wouldn't share them. And the other defendant, so we know Militin is, uh, excuse me, Millicin was the, the main or the initial um, cyber criminal here, I guess, or attacker. Uh, we have another one, though, whose defendant's last name is Brian. So we have some court documents that give a little bit more detail here. Now, I get to the fun part of I get to read actual text from these uh, conversations. And, of course, there are some... Racial epithets I never use in my daily, hold up, so. Hold up, hold up. So I've been thinking about this, all right, Seth? I've been thinking about this. How do I say this? There's two ways this word is usually used. It's usually a derogatory or a friendly way. So anytime it's being used like this where it's friendly, you just say, my friend. How about yeah, that? Yeah, but they're not friends, but I hear what you're saying. Um, <laughs> but okay. So... We learn from the court documents here that within hours of this theft of nearly 17,000 in digital currency, the defendant and his accomplices began to suspect that Millicent had snaked them out of their share of the stolen money, meaning they had no intention of sharing it, or he had no intention. Uh, so the defendant, this is Brian, began threatening Millicent unless Millicent shared in the proceeds of their crimes. And apparently Brian had wrote to Millicent, quote, you are capping my friend. Um, friend not being the word we used, and stop trying to play me, my friend. So one of the defendant's other accomplices immediately followed up, stating, uh, I'ma burn down your house and shred it to its core when I get info on you. I'ma ruin your life, just like what I did to, apparently, somebody else. So we're gonna learn what he meant by that, um, and we're gonna learn about doxing and what that is. More cyber fun. Yeah, which is also, all these things are in our glossary. So remember, we do have that, but we'll explain them as well. So 
At this point, Brian is looking for Millicent's true identity. He doesn't know he's Millicent yet, but he, he's looking for who Millicent is. And so um, they find out that Millicent has this account that's called Shikri, C-H-I-K-R-I. And so you see Brian asking other people, do you have Shikri's docs, D-O-X? And doxing is people's personal information. Usually it means for, um, you know, you usually post it for harassing purposes, but in this frame a reference of this conversation they're basically saying what's his personal information and then um someone else says shikri is doxxed if i find it i'll get m to swat it and swatting is sending police or fire services to the victim in this case shikri uh and then they say shikri will fold so if i could translate that people are saying do you have his information someone else says yes i have his information if i get it I'll have someone else swat it. And then if he gets swatted, he's going to fold. Um, and then co-conspirators or the conspirators learn. And again, I'm saying plural conspirators. So there's probably people we don't know of here. I would say there's definitely people we don't know of here. And they say, do you have info on Jordy? So they find out that Millicent starts going by the name Jordy as well. And you see why that's important here in a second. Says he snaked me an accomplice name for 20K. He didn't even know how to get the money out. I literally had to explain to him and help him for an hour. He took money out and I helped him clean it. Then he made this whole night, he made this lie the whole night. And basically, when I caught him in the lie, he admitted he snaked and removed us from group. And then, <laughs> and this gets really interesting. So shortly thereafter, the defendant then told the chat room he was on the phone with Millicent's father. Imagine, you know, take Mil what Millicent did out of the picture for a second, though, but imagine Millicent's father getting a phone call from someone he doesn't know that Millicent knows on the Internet somewhere. It's crazy. So we learn uh, that same day uh, Millicent is swatted. So for those of you who... Uh, hopefully have checked out our glossary uh, or have listened to some prior podcasts. It's a fairly consistent thing. My theory is it's a tremendously asshole thing to do to somebody. Um, and here uh, we learned that Brian had called the Baltimore County Police Department and falsely reported that he, pretending to be the resident, had shot his father at the residence. He also stated he would shoot himself at responding officers. And the resident was Jordan Millicent. So that's consistent with Jordy. Keith, you want to tell us about why swatting and involving the Baltimore County Police Department is generally considered a no-no? Well, yeah, I mean, if you've ever seen The Wire, Baltimore is a pretty rough city. So if you have a call that comes in that says somebody shot somebody else, you're going you're gonna to get a pretty decent response. Um, you know, probably, probably more than a small town if knew, everybody knew everybody else. Because, you know, if you know somebody, you'll be like, ah, it doesn't really sound like him. Baltimore, it's, it's a big city, completely different. I mean, you get a call like that, you're, you're going to have a response for it. So Millicent's father told law enforcement that just prior to this swatting, they received this phone call from an unknown person, basically this person on the internet, that says that Millicent, the son, stole $20,000, which is a little higher than if you add up what they talked about earlier. Yeah, there's some rounding here going on for sure. And we'll learn more about that in a bit. And the caller told him that the Millicent 
that Millicent was a hacker that his son was a hacker that went by the alias Shikri. And um, what else can I tell you? He basically then, oh, geez, this is another instance, like one of our prior episodes. So there's Millicent and his father. His father got called by the person on the Internet and is also being interviewed by law enforcement. Well, his father then said, hey, when my son learned of the impending police response, he tried to factory reset the operating system on the family's personal computer in order to wipe the device. That's going to be an awkward holiday season, I tell you what. Yeah, uh, it's uh, not going to be pretty for sure. Oh, there's your finger again. All right. Yep. So we're going to, now we're into early January, um, sorry, late January of early 2020. I guess January is early. So January of 2020, we have another theft here. This is victim seven. Victim seven's phone suddenly stopped working after a SIM swap. And... Really soon after that, about $12,000 of crypto was stolen from their account. All right, so that was all the crime. Now we're going right. to bring in the law enforcement side. Now so law enforcement got... is active. It's four yep. years, three years in, but they finally got their indictment. Yeah, so we started in 2017. Now it's July 15th of 2020. So the first indictment comes out. There's two. So this is the first one. Um, there are 13 counts. So the first one through five are wire fraud for Millicent. Count six and seven are unauthorized use of a protected computer, and that's Millicent. And if you don't know what a protected computer is, it's just a legal term for, it's a federal U.S. legal term where, I have to say that now, Seth, because we have international listeners. It's a uh, legal term in the U.S. federally where, it's a computer that basically is on the internet. Um, you know, if you train, if you do things across state lines, which pretty much always happens when you're doing internet stuff, um, it's considered quote unquote, a protected computer. Uh, so that's counts six, six and seven counts, eight and nine are intentional damage to a protected computer. So six and seven were unauthorized use eight and nine were intentional damage once they had use of it. And then counts 10 through 13 are aggravated identity theft. Which, which I had to pause on, right? Because that confused me. Because I'm like, isn't identity theft a crime in of itself? So all that means, anything in, I think, federal law uh, in the U.S. aggravated means there's an additional crime associated with the underlying crime. So the identity theft itself is a built, built, baked-in crime. And then if you commit a crime in furtherance of that, it's now aggravated. So... We learned uh, about six months later, in July of 2020, there was a search warrant uh, at Millicent's home. And they found a bunch of stuff. Uh, there was a phone found uh, that was paired with phone numbers of victims. This is a SIM swap. That's pretty damning. And then they recovered chats, ostensibly on the computer, of the home of Millicent, between Millicent and the co-conspirator. And this is really great stuff. Um, the investigator also recovered chats between Millicent and his co-conspirators, uh, evidencing their unlawful schemes in connection with the crypto theft from individual victim three specifically. For example, investigators found online chats between Millicent using an anonymous screen name and two co-conspirators, one of whom used the name five C's at uh, four C's, four twos rather. But anyway, uh, in those chats, Millicent would ask for codes, which were two-factor authentication codes being sent 
to a device. So this gets into, I think, the false security that people think that two-factor authentication is always secure. But if that second factor is sent via a text, which is what happened here, and of course a SIM swap has happened, that text is not secure. So after Millicent and the co-conspirators gained access to Victim 3's crypto exchange account, Millicent wrote, quote, 16K. That's the same slash 17K slash 20K we've been hearing about. The co-conspirator one tra responded, transfer through Coinbase, which we learned in a prior podcast is, I guess, basically um, an exchange for cryptocurrency. The other co-conspirator then wrote, how long is it going to take Jordy? Which, of course, is telling because we know Jordy is Jordan Millicent. Uh, and quote, so the 16K going to Jordy Coinbase. So after Millicent failed to respond to his co-conspirators, co-conspirator one wrote, among other things, you better hope no one has info on you. Co-conspirator also asked others if they had Shikri's, quote, docs, which we talked about, Shikri, also the Millicent, and docs is putting his personal information online, meaning information about his true identity. Um, and then later, co-conspirator one wrote about the deal that Millicent or Jordy snaked him despite co-conspirator one walking Millicent specifically through the theft and helping him clean it. So I can understand why I guess other co-conspirator one is Brian was pretty upset. He helped him out with the crime, expected to get paid, suddenly not paid. Yeah, and so Millicent is continuing to talk to law enforcement and um, he confesses. So he just says, I did this. And he said, I did this to the tune of $200,000 of stolen cryptocurrency, which the investigators didn't have any way to confirm. And what we saw so far was only about what, like 16. So yeah, Keith 000? and I were confused by this. Was he kind of flexing? Like I've stolen over $200,000 or was he throwing a number out that significantly lower than he actually has stolen and then realized, Oh, now the cops are really going to be interested in me since they were only able to find a very small percentage of that. Um, either yeah. way, it was a confession, and um, he admitted his role in the crypto theft, uh, as well as uh, the theft of individual victim one's Snapchat account. That's the identity theft, and thus aggravated identity theft. Yeah, so when I saw this, I was like, mate, what, what if he stole like $2 million? And he said, ah, 200000 Investigators were like, really? And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> All right, so... Um, the co-conspirator conspirator is Kyle Bryan. So the because these two criminals had a disagreement and one swatted the other, law enforcement went and traced that down and they learned about Kyle Kyle Bryan. He lived in uh, Kenston, Pennsylvania. King, I'm sorry, Kingston, Pennsylvania. Did Millicent give him up? We don't know. Um, I'm assuming they probably had some way to trace him through the whole swatting thing at this point, just based upon how the court paperwork sounds. Um, when they were investigating Brian, they found out that he also swatted somebody else. So usually with these type of crimes, especially a swatting, you see um, when they get away with it once, they'll go and do it again and again and again until they're eventually caught. So... Um, Yep, they just had some um, chats online where basically Brian says, hey, you want to swat this friend for me? And then another party in the conversation went, done. And then he said, Brian says, thanks. 
LOL. And then later, or that day, law enforcement did get a bogus call reporting that a person just shot one of their family members at the address provided by Brian in the online chat. And they, you know, law enforcement, they went in, in force. That's what they do. And that's the second one for Brian in this case. So you want to tell us about the second indictment, Seth? Yes, sir. So at uh, September of 2020, there was a superseding indictment. And this one uh, certainly involved more than Mr. Millicent. So counts one through six were wire fraud. That, that was for both uh, uh, Millicent and Brian. Counts seven and eight were unauthorized access of a protected computer in furtherance of fraud. That was, again, Millicent and Brian. Counts nine to 10 were Millicent's only, and that was the intentional damage to a protected computer. And that's not physical damage here. They're talking about taking over social media accounts. Counts 11 through 14 was aggravated identity theft. We talked about that. That was, again, both Millicent and Brian. And then count 15 was wire fraud conspiracy. I have to believe that's the theft of the crypto. And that, again, was for both Millicent and Brian. Yeah, here's a crusty finger picture, so you know what's coming next. Let me tell you about this story. Remember remember my wife, Andrea, where she had some, a very, very interesting and insightful question about what to do with the USB drive in 30 minutes in your house? Well, we're finding out that Brian did not follow the Keith Jones rule of hiding your USB drives because there was a search warrant that was executed at Brian's apartment, and there they found an Apple MacBook Air, and I'm going to go on record right now saying, there is no way I'm going to try to put a map Apple MacBook Air up my butt, Seth, ever, ever. Good to know. No one Desktop noted. computer, also not going up. Not my going butt. up there. Thumb drives, on the other hand, they found, he could have hid those a little better because law enforcement, they found those. And then there's this Trezor wallet, and I did not put a picture in our slide, but if you do go to our, um, our glossary that we talked about on the web, I put a link that has a reference to a bunch of pictures of the Trezor wallet. And what this is, is a little physical device that you can put your cryptocurrency coins on. So your virtual coins, you can assign them to this physical device. And that's what a Trezor wallet is. When they were there, they had also found six iPhones ranging anywhere from version six through version 11. And I don't know, let's see version, this is circa 2020. So that's, those are probably pretty, well, version 11 would have been probably state-of-the-art. Version 6 was yeah. old even then. I'm looking at the Motorola phones. I'm like, do they even still sell phones? <laughs> Three Motorola phones and an LG phone and a miscellaneous SIM cards. And, like, I... if you Also, by the way, the... designed to be stored in, you know, a cool, dark place, perhaps, right? Oh, yeah, you can, a lot more SIM cards, obviously. But if you look at this list, Seth, like, if you were to execute a search warrant at your or my house... You would not find six phones belonging to me, six iPhones, three Motorola phones, LG phones, and miscellaneous SIM cards. You'll have one SIM card, the one I took a picture with, but that's it. So that's definitely, um, when you look at that, that's definitely like a hacker's toolkit. Indeed. So let's fast forward now a year later to May of 21, Millicent pleads guilty. He pled guilty to a single count of aggravated identity theft, right? So the crime on top of the crime. He forfeited an Acer laptop, four iPhones, uh, a Trezor hardware wallet. We talked about that. Miscellaneous SIM cards. And then apparently they found 0.2 Bitcoin seized from Exodus software wallet. I don't know what Bitcoin was trading at at that time, but it was probably a lot. Um, And then we have a little bit of more detail from the court document here. 
uh, that talks about how Millicent and his co-conspirators posed. This is how they committed the crime. This is interesting. And I'm going to read this because, again, I want to kind of indicate um, my sympathy for the, the poor mobile device, um, you know, hardware, excuse me, hard physical store workers, uh, employees. So Millicent and his co-conspirators, they pose as wireless carrier help desk technicians who called unsuspecting wireless retail store employees to induce them into turning over their network login credentials. So imagine what they have access to, right? Every customer, their, their billing address, their credit card information, their phone number associated with their account. Uh, and I don't know how much security is inherent in those uh, logs. The caller would direct the employees to a phishing website designed to look like an authentic wireless carrier internal network login page. So again, they had a specific page that was designed to uh, you know, literally lure these uh, employees to. The conspirators would steal the login credentials through the phishing website or by tricking the employee into just giving the call the remote desktop access um, to the mobile carrier network. It's like, you know what, you want you to stop, give me access and I'll just run it right for you. Um, and why would they know? It sounds like he works for, you know, and we'll, for, we'll learn here who the actual mobile device carrier is. But um, so that's the, uh, the guilty plea. Keith, talk us through the imprisonment and the, uh, what he got. Sure. So he got two years uh, to that one count. And then monetarily, they assessed him for $100. And then they said restitution is just over 34000 American dollars. But wait, there's more. And I thought this there was is. interesting, Keith. So the guilty plea also required... Um, treatment both for drug and mental health. Now, we don't have any, I think, additional documentation that explains why those were needed, but I'm assuming that, you know, they must have um, either included it as just kind of making it a harsher penalty, or maybe there actually were uh, mental health and drug issues involved. We don't really have enough information on that. What I found interesting, though, was in addition to the restitution of $35,000, $34,000, Mr. Milson has to pay for the cost of both the drug treatment and a mental health treatment. And I'm not sure what that costs, but I'm assuming it's not cheap. And additionally, uh, and this is, I think, fairly consistent against any kind of related uh, computer crimes, you're not allowed to possess or use computers <laughs> or other electronic communications or data storage or media without the express permission of your probation officer. So I guess unless you can prove to your, your probation officer you're literally using that just to do your job, assuming you can get one, uh, or to look for a job, uh, that's, you know, in 2022, well, I guess when this case came down, or current times, it's really hard to go through your life without a, without a computer. Yeah, and if it's not an all-out ban like we're seeing in here, it's something very well monitored. It's, it's like, you know, if you're on a phone or on a computer, you've got to have this, like, Big Brother type of monitor on there so they can see what it is you're doing. And... That's if you're lucky enough <laughs> to be able to use computers and phones. Um, and I wonder, like, if it applies to, like, even a smart TV, right, which kind of stores, you know, your shows that you've just, you know, recorded. That's technically a data storage device. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much that's enforced, but uh, we can go through that on a future episode. But it, it sounds, at least on paper, fairly draconian. It's like, man, that convict, he just tweeted from his refrigerator. What the hell? Right. All right. So. February 2nd, 2022, so last year, Jordan Millison is released. So if you're following this in the timeline, Millison basically said, yep, I did it. And then they said, all right, you're sentenced. And then he's already out. February 2nd, 
2022, and we haven't even dealt with Brian's case yet. So uh, Jordan Millison is, you know, ha uh, if you're not watching the YouTube version, it's, I just have his um, prison's record number here. It, uh, it doesn't even have a picture of him. It just says Jordan K. Millison has his um, inmate number. It says age 23, race black, uh, sex male, released on February 2nd, 2022. But keep in mind here, when he committed these crimes, he was a teenager. He was 17 yeah. or 18 when he committed the crimes. So they're really young. I'm, 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 I'm in no way excusing that behavior, but it just, you know, it kind of uh, shows, I mean, other than the fact that he's uh, not a young white male here, which is what we've seen consistently uh, in other podcasts other than our Last Ladies Only episode, um, this one uh, is a little bit different in, the, uh, in that regard. So now, Almost as soon as Mr. Millicent is released, Brian pleads guilty. And we're not sure if there's a direct correlation there. Did one fold on the other? I suspect so. But Brian pled guilty to one count of aggravated identity theft, the crime upon the crime, two years in prison, and similarly, one year of supervised release. Um, he also got the drug treatment and the, uh, the mental health treatment. We'll see that in a minute. He about got about half off in terms of restitution, had a similar $100 fine, but also had almost $17,000 in restitution to pay back. And he was allowed to use a computer, so they will allow him to use a computer. It had to be supervised with the government's computer monitoring tools on there as well. I, I don't know if you said it, uh, but he also had to go through mental health treatment. Yeah, mental well. health and yep. drug treatment, for sure. And he had to pay for that as well. So his prison record, I pulled it, it says, Kai, Kyle A. Bryan uh, has his prison number, and then it says age 22, so he must be one year young, probably a year or two younger at this point uh, than Millicent. Race black, uh, sex male, release date uh, March 11th, 2024, so just under a year from now from when we recorded this, and located at USP. Lewisburg, which is Pennsylvania, I believe. Yeah, it's a federal prison in Lewisburg, in Pennsylvania. So, which mobile providers were hacked? And then this is no way um, trying to come down on, on our friends here. Um, the OG users was hacked. So that's the actual, we've seen this in a prior episode, where the actual like online chat community, where hackers go to chat, was hacked. Um, and the data thus was online. And we discussed this in previous episodes. Uh, but here it looks like T-Mobile. So uh, we learned this from uh, going on to Krebs on Security, which is a security-focused security, uh, security -focused website. Uh, and it's, there's an article about two were charged in sim swapping and vishing. Um, here, Brian allegedly used the nickname Champagne on OG users. And on at least two occasions in the past few years, the OG users forum was hacked. Which means if you're a hacker, maybe you don't want to go onto that forum. It's, it's, it's not secure. Um, and there were several private messages between forum members and they were posted online. And in a specific private message from 2019, Champagne can be seen asking another OG users member to create a phishing site mimicking T-Mobile's employee login page. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that really scares the crap out of me. That there's an open market for these young kids who are probably really good at it to simulate and create a fake phishing enhanced or phishing specific rather um, website, you know, with the sole purpose of defrauding customers. And that's um, a really scary thing to me. Yeah. That brings us to the end of our case. All right. So what did we learn about this case? Well, 
this this is probably the first episode, Seth, where we can give you more countermeasures than we could in the prior episodes yep. because fishing is something that you can take a hand in in your security. So when you get an email from any company that looks suspicious, always, well, even that doesn't look suspicious, always check the links in the browser before you start entering any type of personal information. So there's a couple spots where you can do this. So in your email, if you hover over a URL, usually or like a link, it'll show you the website it's going to, and then you can see, you know, is that the legitimate site or not? Um, but also when you click on it and you look up in your browser, you're going to see it up there as well. So you have a couple of different spots you can catch yourself in this point before you actually start putting in your personally identifiable information. And then um, that just leads naturally to the second one, which is for vishing, call the company back. You know, all these companies have, at least the bigger companies have 800 numbers on their website. Say, hey, give me your department, give me your extension. I'll call you, you know, I'm gonna go pull the phone number and I'll call you back. If they're legitimate. To be fair though, that could be its own rabbit hole, right? I mean, some of these larger companies have dozens and dozens of yeah. callback numbers. And, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of these companies, their different individual departments work very siloed. So you could call back. I'm not trying to be too cynical here. It is a good idea to obviously confirm and try to, but I can understand you can call back and be like, I don't, you know, I got a call from Rob in this department. And the person you're talking to is going to be like, I don't know who the heck that is. It could not, doesn't necessarily mean that it was vishing, but I, that's not a panacea. But I agree that it's at least a step you can take. And uh, again, I mean, you know, your personal information is all over the place, whether you like it or not. So being a little extra careful here or taking an extra minute to confirm something is never a bad idea. Yeah. You want to take the next one? I'll do the next one. Yeah. So, and I mentioned this a couple times, two-factor authentication, really good idea. However, there is certainly a weakness when you're receiving a text or message authentication because your phone is not necessarily fully locked down. I don't want to assume that your SIM card has been swapped, but it can happen. And that is a great way to, you know, basically intercept and hack that two-factor authentication process. We also learned, as I said, that these OG users, uh, that, you know, um, chat community for hackers shows up a lot and it's been hacked several times. So uh, just keep an eye out for that. You know, if you tend to like to troll the internet or whatnot, I would definitely not go on that website. It's not secure. Uh, and then the last thing is, you know, no honor amongst thieves here, right? Now, normally what we see anytime one, you know, attacker will flip on another, it's usually at the, you know, pressure of law enforcement, right? You know, if you flip on him, we'll give you a lighter sentence, so forth. Here it happened before the case came to a conclusion. <laughs> and that was uh, an interesting twist we have not seen in our prior cases. Yeah, so that's the end of our case-related stuff. So I have a couple things for you. One is how do you, the first thing I'm going to give you is how you contact us if you'd like to chat with us. Uh, you can go to our website, and our website's basically the landing page to everything. So our website is ecrimebytes, E-C-R-I-M-E-B-Y is in yellow, T-E-S dot com. And if you look across the top there, we got all our social media links and so forth. So if you want to watch the YouTube version of this, go up there, click on the YouTube, and it'll take you right to these videos of um, uh, our podcast as well. So one thing, so I, I'm just going to say this is a hobby for us. This is not a full-time job for either one of us. We do this for fun. 
Um, you know, I buy all the research, the court documents that aren't purchased and so forth. I buy them and um, it's all uh, our time outside, you know, it's all volunteer time outside of work to put this podcast together. So with that, we don't have a bunch of like ads out there or anything. So the, the nicest thing you could do for us is just leave us a positive review somewhere like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, you know, whatever, whatever mechanism they have a starring system or a thumbs up system or whatnot. And if you leave a funny Apple podcast review, uh, we will read it down here. Um, well, we frankly, will... if you leave a terrible one, we'll probably read that one too. Cause we probably find it funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And the one last thing, actually two last things. One is I noticed my web or my video was flickering a little bit there in the beginning and it was annoying the heck out of me, but I think I got it fixed by the end. And I apologize if you're watching this on the YouTube. I just got a brand new camera. Hopefully it looks nice. It's flickery, but I think I fixed it. Um, and the second is, my God, Seth, you didn't even notice my shirt. I'm going to stand up a little bit here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. I don't really have anything to say other than that. It just It reeks of awesomeness. It's my um, Golden Girls shirt, and it was a present from my brother and my sister-in-law, Tall Flamingos. So I figured it was the best shirt to wear on our first video podcast. Yeah, so with I'm that, wearing a hat we... because it's cold in my basement. <laughs> and with that, we appreciate you sticking around for Episode 7, and we look forward to seeing you on Episode 8. And until then, uh, have fun, and we'll see you in our next episode. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, all. Bye-bye. Sorry, I'm upset. That's some domestic bullshit right there. <laughs> I apologize. That, I'll fill you in later. I might have to clip that out just just for our opening someday. That's some <laughs> domestic bullshit right there. Your All right, wife will, your wife will love that. <laughs>